Quiet on the set. Action. everyone and welcome to the Movie Machine Podcast, a show produced by Hot Chocolate Media where we make up a movie really fast based on a random suggestion from the internet. I am joined by three illustrious guests from Hollywood. We have our writer, Ben Lifson, who is Michael Bay's dog groomer. We have our director, Kyle Decker, who is the art director on Turbo Kid. And we have our producer, Josh Hames, who is the secret grandchild of H.R. Geiger. Welcome, friends. It's good to be here. All right. I, I know it's personal, but as um, an H.R. Geiger descendant, it, uh, do you, like, get out of an egg or...? <laughs> I was born via impregnation through the throat. Ah, okay. All right. So here is your prompt. The theme of this story, dramatic action. The main characters, a boring beggar, and a youthful biologist. The start of the story is temptation. The end of the story is surrender. So, you know, we're going to make him, you know, very deadpan, a very deadpan beggar. Give him a really boring name like John, John the Beggar. And he, like, you know, he's just not, he's, he's not into it. You know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, you want to give me some money? Okay, not, whatever. Hey, man, I'm starving here. I want to pitch to our director, Stephen Fry, but, you know, that's totally up to you. But, you know, he's just not into it. And so, but what he's doing is to get food because he's bored with begging because, you know, he's done. Because begging every day, you know, it's got to be really boring unless you're really into it, you know. I mean, if you really have a passion, you need to have a real passion for begging to do it, I feel. Anyway, but that's not the point. Uh, So he goes to this biologist, Dr. Swan, because of the free food that's there. And Dr. Swan is talking about dinosaurs, this like uh, ancient dinosaur bones and how all these amazing things that they might be able to find, but you know, they're not allowed to because zoning restrictions or whatever. So the beggar decides like, yeah, screw the police. I'm just going to go there and finds this temple. The, The dinosaur bones were actually, they weren't dinosaurs at all. They were aliens, dragon alien dinosaurs. And so that's the big twist. And like, and the biologist is like, what have you found? You're not allowed in here, beggar John. And he's like, hey, man, finally something interesting's going on. So uh, they're they're going in and, you know, they just descend deeper and deeper into the pits of this dinosaur bone kingdom. And it turns out that, you know, there's like the, the molemen under the earth. And, you know, it becomes this whole lost world kind of adventure flick. And the biologist, you know, trying to get him out of there because he was chasing after this beggar, telling him to get lost. And then they fell into the pit and now they need to escape. And, you know, there's dinosaurs and there's adventure and all this cool stuff happening. And at the very end, they decide they can't get back to the surface world. So they surrender to live in this bioluminescent underground world with all this craziness. All right. Do you have a title for this film? Can You Spare? Can You Spare. Okay. 
So, Kyle, the draft for Can You Spare comes across your desk. It's it's dusty, and there's some kind of like boot prints across it. Like it's it's been taken on a, a long journey in a, a dusty old place. Uh, what do you think? Is this something you can put a spin on? Well, so the, I love the first half of the script. I thought it was this nice touching piece about this beggar trying to get his with this caring doctor. And it was really something intimate and really a character study. And I really, the second act ended with aliens and crap. And the third act was like Tomb Raider meets Jurassic Park. Yeah, and it's just a twist. Like, Tonally, this is two movies in one. But it's a twist. Well, so, yeah, so it's a twist and tonally, two movies in one. I was going to cast a serious actor in, actors in it, but I can't. No one will take this movie seriously. So our beggar is going to be, I know you said gravelly and everything, but I'm going to, Stephen Fry can't do the action, and he's way too posh. So we're going to do Tom Cruise instead, and we're going to make him grow a beard and get all, like, we'll have one of his platform shoes slightly taller than the other, so he walks with a limp, too. And we'll definitely have him run in the movie, so he, you know, we'll meet that contractual obligation. He'll run from aliens. And so, you know, I was saying someone classy, and I want to make the doctor a woman. I want to get get an actor that really exudes charisma and talent, and, like, we we can believe she's a doctor. So we're going to do Cara Delevingne. As the doctor in this, because I mean, she just she has talent oozing from each of her company manufactured robotic pores. I mean, did I say she's she's totally not a robot sent to this earth to destroy acting? I mean, and they're they're not commanding me to do this. So yeah, and they'll do that. We'll do a bunch of action set pieces. Like we'll get some of the best. Like we'll get the best stunt coordinator, choreographer in the thing, and we'll just have the aliens. You know. You know, I'm going to have the aliens kind of... I'm going to bring in the guy that did the Mars Attacks aliens. And just, like, we're going to... It's like... But, but we're going to say, I want you to do the Mars Attacks aliens, but make them scary. And more, like, rooted in reality rather than 50s pulp. And so... And then we're just going to film this a lot of wide shots. You know, like, big kind of action. We're just have a big frame where all the action happens at the center. So people can just turn their brains off and eat popcorn. And Tom Cruise will run and things will explode. I want to have a scene in deep in this excavation where there's a there's like a badass old school flying saucer that the scientists or the doctor and Tom Cruise figure out to fly and they like just like crash this this flying saucer up through we're gonna get this great tracking shot where it'll be from the point of view of the flying saucer and it's just crashing up through the, all the levels of the subway and all and then it crashes up from the Hudson River over New York City and then we and then the new aliens flying saucers that have come to support their people down below come in we have this sweet chasing of these ancient flying saucer being chased by the new ones through the New York City skyline. They won't hit anything because we don't want that, but we'll just have some cool explosions and helicopters in the night. Like, it'll be big. It'll be explodey. It'll be all CGI because we'll save a little money that way, but it'll be cool. It'll be Tom Cruise flying a flying saucer. And yeah, it'll just like, it'll end with them fighting the big main alien bad guy on top of the Statue of Liberty and uh, Tom Cruise's shirt will get ripped off and they'll cover him with American flag at the end and it'll be, and we'll get friggin' Danny Elfman to do the score. It'll be awesome. All right. So Josh, you've gotten a, a treatment for, what was the title of this thing again? Can You Spare? Can You, Can you Spare? spare? Yes. And, and, and I gotta say, I loved it. I loved it. A very actually deeply but there are some things that I wish could work but just simply can't because we get, we've got to look at the success of streaming films and one of the most successful streaming films as far as audiences 
watching it, not necessarily critically, but audiences watching it. Bright just came out, and that had a huge spike in Will Smith movies. And if we're going to do a movie about the beggars, like, people are streaming The Pursuit of Happiness. Like, you wouldn't believe. It's like it came out last weekend. You know what I mean? This they could win an Oscar this year. And when people want to see a beggar, they want to see a realistic beggar. I don't think that we could paint Tom Cruise, even if we could get him, up to be a realistic beggar. I mean, he might be begging since Katie Holmes left for Jamie Foxx, who, by the way, he should have killed in collateral. But regardless, <laughs> we can't afford Tom Cruise. Also, I believe that he was injured in the last running explosion shot in American Made, which was, again, almost straight to DVD. So he's not bottom of the barrel. We can't get him. People want to see a realistic beggar. And I think that right now, who's hot for who would believe, audiences would believe to be a beggar, is Gilbert Gottfried. And we can get him. He's thin enough. He's fit enough. We can train him. People aren't expecting a Gilbert Gottfried passionate action film. And I want it. I, I, that, that's, that, that's my pick for the lead. I, I don't know if that can work, but I'm trying really, really hard here. Do you think that we could put Gilbert... You're the producer. It's up to you. Well, I, I, I like working with my director. You know, I, I, I like making everybody happy. I mean, this script literally, like, sucked my will to create art, and I just kind of plugged in what I thought the studio would want to make movie, make money. Like, if Gilbert can do the stunts, I'm okay. But if he's too old and, like, not athletic enough to do the stunts, I just give me an actor who I don't have to put a stuntman in for every shot. That's all I'm asking. That's just a... That can be done, but man, that's a lot of work, and I'm gonna have to buy my stuntman a lot of beers after each day of shooting, and I'm not much of a social drinker. Correct. I hear you. I hear you. However, if we were to save on the lead actor, we could possibly convince Gilbert or someone like Gilbert, someone we believe is desperate, to do the stunts himself at any kind of harm or cost to him. But if he harms himself enough, I can't finish the movie with the actor, and then I have to film a death scene and cast another actor, and that, that just sounds like work, man. I'm just looking to get a paycheck, so I'm not going to really fight you on anything, but I don't want this paycheck to, like, take effort. Just like you could tell Bright, you could tell David Ayers didn't really put effort into Bright, and he collected a paycheck. I want a movie like that. Like, I'm really feeling Bright. Like, David Ayers got a big, fat paycheck for basically doing nothing, and I want to do the same thing. Okay, if Gilbert isn't on the stage, then I know for a fact Jason Bateman is 100% in. He's got the beggar look. He got rid of the coke bloat from Arrested Development, season three. I mean, he's ready. He's ready to do this kind of thing. I mean, he's been in a lot of dad comedies, but it's time for him to break out, break out of the, the family mold and into a very serious, passionate action role. I think that Jason Bateman's our guy. All right, do you have a budget for this film? We're looking at $130 million. $130 million. All right. Well, we couldn't so. get Tom Cruise for that. <laughs> Tom Cruise won't do anything for $150 million. Oh. All right. So, Ben, you've got uh, treatment back. Mm. The title is staying. What do you think? So, is this uh, working for you? Well, first off, I take umbrage with the idea that we're not making art here, okay? This is a very important movie, and I think that maybe it's too simple for people to take too seriously. So I think, you know, we have three plot twists. Let's add some more plot twists. So first off, it'll turn out they're not actually aliens, but they are humans 10 million years from now who have time traveled back in time, but went too far and are now underground. We don't need to shoot anything else. We'll just put a little extra scene in there to explain it. So and then that adds a little bit of a statement on humanity, you know, like, are we the monsters? Right. And I agree with you. No one does that better than Andy Serkis. Mm-hmm. I think that the king of these mole people should definitely be Andy Serkis because the majority of our budget 
mm-hmm. is going towards special effects. It's right. all about special effects. Let's be honest. That's the only way you can tell your artistic piece properly. And if we want to get that old school flying saucer in here, we need to build the thing. Right. I'm talking subway station. And level. so we got humans, we got the mole people, we have the aliens who then turn out to be humans. So it's like all come from humans. You know what I mean? Because all of our films come from humans. So I think that's that's a very deep. Um, I want to pitch something if we end up going with Gilbert Gottfried, just because I want to see what would happen. I don't care how you do it, but if you can even get him for like a day, Morgan Freeman having a conversation with Gilbert Gottfried, because I just want to hear those two voices in conflict with each other and just see what happens. Like, will it make, will the sound wave just kind of like rip itself in half? I don't, I don't know. I, I want to see this. Anyway, that's for you guys. Also, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of odd that, you know, a beggar who would probably be pretty impoverished would know how to do backflips off subway and moving things and how he would know how to fly a spaceship. So we should probably explain that um, because the beggar, this is going to be another plot twist, is actually a cyborg created by the aliens and who has false memories you know, and like the false memories and, you know, they weren't programmed how to live in normal society. So now they're a beggar. And that's also why they're so boring, because they weren't given a proper emotion chip. So, yeah. So we have cyborgs, the cyborg savior. And we can have some Jesus symbolism in there, too, because, you know, maybe have him die and come back with aliens and mole people. All right. So, Kyle, you've got a second draft coming in here. You get some notes from the studio. you got a budget. What do you think? How are you going to make this thing shine? So, I got some bad news, guys. I am uh, friends with Gilbert Gottfried's agent. I was trying to soften him up on all this. And when I really showed him the required uh, conditioning program he'd have to do with this movie, Gilbert backed out. He's like, that's more work even for the paycheck. However, he's still very interested in the film. I've, I've basically brought in a few scenes. So... Like, it's a science facility and everything. Like, the security guard that, like, keeps the lock on the gate before you go into the alien ex- excavation is like, a, you know, it's Gilbert Gottfried. And he's, because he's kind of incompetent and he likes talking to our, uh, you know, homeless guy. So, Gilbert, the reason the guy is able to get down is in there is because Gilbert Gottfried. And then they go on a great, like, buddy adventure. The other guy does all the action and Gilbert's just doing there reacting to things like, oh, my God, things are exploding and everything. And I'm, I'm digging, so I'll, let's make the beggar Morgan Freeman. And let's have a Mil- Morgan Freeman, Gilbert Gottfried, buddy, alien action movie. Morgan Freeman, he can't really do stunts either, so we're going we're gonna to have the doctor, played by a woman still. So we can't use Cara Delevingne. Her software hasn't been upgraded to do action at the time currently. We're going to use Cara Knightley. She's, you know, she did all the sword fighting in Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff. She's got, the, and she's got acting chops. The trope is we're going to change. We're going to make the scientist the action star. And basically Morgan Freeman and Gilbert Gottfried are R2-D2 and C-3PO just watching all this shit happening and like just being unwilling participants on all these things. And, and it'll be, they're going to be our Laurel and Hardy meets Frankenstein. That's what's going to happen. That's what this is going to be. This is going to be the inspiration. Like it's going to be a lot of reaction shots of Morgan and Gilbert like, oh my god, that's an egg and an alien. Oh my god. And just having, well, we only write a few things. We're going to let them improv most of it, you know, and just see what they come up with. We'll just like, hey, you got 20 minutes to roll. Come up with this much crap. Like, your characters just accidentally hit the launch button for the flying saucer. Now it's flying around New York. What do you do? Meanwhile, Karen Knightley's like using nunchucks to fight off aliens while you're in the cockpit. 
do something, and then just let him roll with the camera, and that's what I got. We'll go. We'll lean into the comedy a little bit. All right, so Josh, you got some new new information. You've got a new cast. What do you think? Is this working for you? And how are you going to make some bucks out of this? I think it is. I'm actually not even going to pay attention to anything that you do with Morgan Freeman. Because if he's signed on, if he's game, that's money. We're good. The vision's there. He can do the artistic voice. I know that. That much is certain. Gilbert being there, perfect. We, we made everyone happy. However, I did just got the phone with James Cameron. We've been throwing around discussions about this film. Because I was I was going to ask him to see if he could lend some, some special effects hands. Get some people that he knows. I mean, we're talking prosthetic effects. We're going back to the old school. We're telling this bare bones as far as the budget's concerned. And during the process, he said, you know, I'd love to throw some money at this thing if we could throw a nod because he heard about the ending. I told him about this rewrite, which I'm very excited for. The fact that we've got a cyborg. We've got androids. We've got this sort of are humans the enemy angle. And this is just my input from James. He asked me, he said, you know, at the very end of the film, can Andy Serkis possibly dying of some kind of illness being the king of the mole people. He's probably, what, I mean, 300, 500 years old, somewhere in there. He's asking the cyborg, he's asking the cyborg, what can we do to save ourselves? And this is James's idea, and I'm I'm with it, if you guys are with it, but what all he asked was that, you know, somewhere in there we sneak in, that the cyborg asks him or, or, or responds saying, listen, we've got this under control, we've sent one of our own, back in time to kill Sarah Connor. And the end of this film is the segue into the beginning of the Terminator franchise. That would make, I mean, he could donate an extra 50 million. We could make the special effects more polished. It could be kind of like one of those off-brand prequels. Which timeline is this? Do you think that he cares? (laughs) I don't care. I lost track in Terminator Salvation. I don't think that Christian Bale was sober enough to even know that there was a timeline, right? No one remembers that film. We could restart the Terminator franchise for a 2018, 2019 release, somewhere in there, and really bank on this thing. Yeah, I I think, I really think that this idea has its genesis somewhere else. All systems go, warp nine, engage, let's do it. All right, so I'm going to plug all of your data into the movie machine, uh, which sounds like robotic machinery. So this this, this thing still had a $150, $150 budget. When we oh, no, no, no. I, I actually added a $50 million budget if we did the Sarah Connor thing. So it had a two. It had, it had a budget two, it had a as Justice League? Oh, yeah, dude. We could have done, oh, done a Terminator prequel. So this movie has some interesting effects. Um, <laughs> initially, a lot of people don't go see it. It's just kind of like another blockbuster type thing, and it's a little bit mixed in the way that the trailers view it. And actually... Weirdly enough, a lot of like kind of artsy folks and like you know hipster folks see the trailers and they see Morgan Freeman playing a beggar and they see all this like destruction in big cities and they think it's like a statement about how society affects people of color and like how the the world is like coming to an end with the the rise of, of capitalism and it's it's hyper hyper effects on the the way that we do things. So they go and see it and they just like think it's the worst thing ever and they rant about it. And then all the people who, like, read all the stuff that they're saying and seeing them get really pissed off about it, it's like, oh, if it pisses these guys off, it must be great, because they only like crap. So all the folks who love, like, Transformers movies and, like, you know, like, the Maze Runner movies and that kind of stuff immediately go out and watch it, and, like, it suddenly starts spreading in waves. So, like, the first couple weeks in the theater, it's just, like, barely anything, but then, like, week three... 
you actually get a lot of people coming in. Week four is even more. Week five is crazy. And, you know, after a couple months in theaters, you actually have, have made most of your money back. So by the time it actually hits DVD and comes out, you've got your money back. People come in. Michael Bay hires Ben. He says, you're no longer my dog groomer. You're my writing consultant for the next set of Transformer films. Because they're just going to keep making them until they stop making money. So right. I mean, they he, did, needs, they, he needs more meat to churn through the Transformers. Right. They machine. did say the last one was the last one. But this is also now the spinoff new series that takes place right, parallel. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, they, they just have to go to Cybertron and, like, start another set of series of films there. Or they could do, like, Beast Wars. Oh, no, they well, they're making a Bumblebee movie. Okay. I didn't make that so, up. That, that's actually yeah. not a joke. All that said, you do it's have some It's not a joke, because I'm just angry now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all that said... spinoff. There we go. Yeah. That would be fun. That would be great. VR Troopers. VR Troopers. So... It's Beetleborgs, dude. <laughs> So, this is the movie machine. It's only predicting the future. You do have some time to make some changes, or you can call it art and leave it be. So we'll go around one more time, starting with our writer, Ben. Hmm. Well, I like I like this little cameo little thing you're doing with the Terminator. If we can tie it a little bit more. First off, I don't think the Terminator movies ever talk about the time machine, how, how it works. So we can tie in, we can have the time machine, you know, tie it in a bit more. The time machine that's used is the time machine that the aliens use to go back. I think also that part of the reason they were sent back to is like they were created by this the weird paradox from all the Terminator movies constantly rewriting itself. So in that way, anyone who also complains about, you know, things not making sense or like this doesn't add up at all, you can say, well, it's because the timeline is in flux. So I think that also gives us a built-in excuse for any criticism. I'm worried about adding too much because if it sounds like we got successful because we made some people angry, so I'm worried that if we don't make people angry, this weird set of circumstances that wouldn't happen. So I'm just going to throw in two more plot twists. So humans weren't actually born on Earth. Humans were created, and we're going to, because we're doing Terminator, we're having the self-contained time loop. Humans were created by the aliens who the humans evolved into. So then after the human, and we, we can only we, we can only spend like 30 seconds on this. It doesn't matter. It's just a twist to throw in there. Um, because more twists, the better. But yeah, these humans evolved into aliens who then went back in time and gave birth to the humans. And the other twist is that uh, the beggar has a dog. All right. So, Kyle, you've got some revisions back. You've yeah. seen the future. What do you think? I'm digging, like, all the bullshit time travel and stuff because the people like Transformers movies eat up that crap and everything. However, the real way, the reason Transformers get made, they make it that sweet Chinese movie market money. That's where most, like, the last Transformers movies didn't make anything in the United States, but it made, like, truckloads of cash in China. And so they like nonsensical robots and everything, but Terminator Genesis didn't do well. Now here, because of our esteemed writer's relationship with Michael Bay, and as much as, like, Michael Bay has a giant creepy boner for this film, I know Jimmy C offered us $50 million, but Michael Bay just offered us 60 So... He just asked if I put a few more explosions in the movie. I'm down for that. However, instead of the twist being Terminators at the end, the, the final shot, instead of finding the, like the time machine and everything, is we find Optimus Prime's head. And it's just sitting there, just his head and everything. And uh, it and like I like the idea. And the aliens that made humans are also the aliens that created the Transformers oh and the Allspark. God. 
and it's going to be the launch. It's going to be a secret Transformers movie. We don't reveal to the end. That's where we get that fifth week, third, fourth, fifth week as the word gets out in Transformers fans. And it's going to launch a brand new uh, Michael Bay. He's only interested in producing and he, he signed you under you and me to write. He said, we're going to do a brand new Transformers prequel trilogy that all takes place on the Transformers homeworld. And it's about like the Transformers Civil War on their own planet. Okay, but can we get... And this is the launching point. Right. We yeah. got to, though, explain how, like, all the high school, you know, boner jokes are going to work one on Cybertron. But we'll worry about well, that later. They have... Robots have sex. Okay. We'll have, like, a robot sex store on Cybertron. It'll okay. be great. Sure. We'll, we'll see what a Cybertron dildo looks like or something. Michael will eat it up. All right. So, Josh... Uh, hey, day. Yeah. You know, Jim is still on your team, but now you got Mike, too. What do you think? Is this working for you? Did, do you think the, the title is going to have to change because of the inclusion in a universe now? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've actually already got the box art. I'm going to be totally honest. When, when I heard that Mikey joined the team, that he became part of the family and said, you know, it's 60 million. We could throw out this thing. We can make the UFO. Not only that, we can actually crash it from orbit. He pitched that, and I was all about that. I don't know if you could work with that. It's, I, it's, we, we attached, like, 400 GoPros to it for the re-entry and put them in, like, oh, ceramic yeah. I mean, cases. It, we're, we're looking at some literally stratosphere-level special effects, thanks to Michael Bay's contribution to the film. And I actually personally, as, as executive producer of multiple successful action film series, I love the Transformer films. I love them deeply. And I've already got the box art back, actually, for the DVD, which will it will be released simultaneously on video on demand for the first time via Crackle. Isn't that a free service with commercials? But by late 2018, by early 2019, I'm, I'm getting word that may not be the case. It might be $19.99 a month. We might have David Lynch doing a new series on Crackle. There's lots of potential there. However... All I'm saying is that, on, uh, you know, literally the, t- the, the sub-tagline was, in the beginning, there was the cube, and their world was ravaged by death. Dot, dot, dot. And... So you're down with it going from Terminators to Transformers. Oh, 100%. I didn't okay. even think that was part of the discussion okay. anymore. I, I, I forgot all about Michael Bay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. For, I, James, James C? King. Yeah, James, James, James C is dead to me. All right. All right. And can I just say one thing? I'm going to slip Jacob a 20, because I just want to make one last suggestion. Okay. At the very end, after the credits, it'll just have Gilbert Gottfried looking at the camera, and he says one word, the aristocrats. And then it ends. (laughs) Those are two words. Those are two words. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking you were going to say bank sale, like that, yeah. But... I will, I will feed your $20 bill into the movie machine and see what it tells us here. So I feed it back into the movie machine... uh, uh, absolutely nothing has changed. For one thing, Gilbert Gottfried sees a sudden resurgence in his career and just essentially is now, like, because he's in this Transformers, you know, spinoff film, he's, like, wanted by, like, other large action franchises. And, like, apparently he's doing, like, a movie with, with Mark Wahlberg next year. And, like, all these things are, are happening for Gilbert, and he's just so grateful to you guys. Um, what was the title of this shithole movie? <laughs> Can You Spare? Can You Spare? What the fuck? It's a, stealth, <laughs> it's a stealth Transformers movie that sets up a prequel. It's the most genius marketing ploy ever. Right. All right. So there you have it, folks. Can You Spare? And I just want to say all the critics who have their tagline be, Oh, spare me from the movie. You're not funny. I'm very proud spare. of a 7% Rotten Tomatoes score. 
even though we made ten times as much money as the Justice the, League movie. The, listen, all I'm looking at is the audience reviews, and right now we're sitting two points above The Last Jedi. We've got a 56% loved by the audience via Rotten Tomatoes for Can You Spare. Just saying. Because that can't be manipulated by internet trolls at all. No. No, it can't. Especially with the love transformers. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Can you spare? And as always, we'll end our episode with an out-of-context quote from our patron saint, Guy Fieri. Peace, love, and taco grease. I hate Bye, everything about that movie. <laughs> <laughs>